today we are going to take a deep dive into the promising therapy of fecal transplantation. I'm Bon Koo, the host of Design Lab, a podcast that explores the intersection of design and health. Our guest is Saffron Cassidy. She directed her first documentary film called Cyber Seniors in 2014. This film followed a group of senior citizens as they learn about the internet from teenage mentors and the connections made both on and offline. It's been broadcast in 40 countries, including PBS, Netflix, CBC, North America. Cyber Senior screening events were supported by over 900 partners. Saffron has a new film coming out this year called Designer Shit. She explores the efficacy of fecal transplant for her condition, ulcerative colitis, using herself as a human guinea pig. On our website, designlabpod.com, you can find a transcript of the show, show notes, learn more about the guests, and get links to related content from each episode. And you'll be able to sign up for our newsletter. Each week, our producer, Rob Gleesey, will send his reflections on the episode. You'll get show notes and links right into your email inbox. I got a really nice message on Instagram from listener Seth Gray in Canada. Thanks, Seth, for listening to the show. Go to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Support us. Give us five stars. Follow us. Leave us a review and tell someone about the podcast. Now my conversation with Saffron Cassidy. Saffron, welcome to Design Lab. I'm so excited to talk about your upcoming documentary. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. It has the coolest name. It's called Designer Shit. <laughs> Tell me about what the documentary is and why you decided to make it. Well, the documentary is about fecal transplant, which is a procedure in which you take stool from a healthy donor and you put it in the gut of a patient in the hopes of kind of rebalancing the microbiome. And we're seeing that this treatment can be used to treat a variety of illnesses uh, and in the film, I meet with some of the world's leading experts on this procedure, and I actually do the procedure myself, using myself as a human guinea pig to treat my colitis. There's so many ways I want to jump into this, but let's do some background first with the science. This is not something I learned in medical school at all. Tell us what ulcerative colitis is first and kind of your perspective on it and doing research with film and your own personal experience? Sure. Ulcerative colitis is an autoimmune condition in which the immune system attacks the colon. This can lead to some really nasty symptoms like diarrhea, blood, mucus. There are good medications for this condition, but they can be kind of hit or miss. And in my case, my symptoms started out mild and got progressively worse as years went on. And after 10 years, I wasn't getting a lot of relief from the medication I was taking. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm not a gastroenterologist, but I, I do treat patients who have these flares of their ulcerative colitis when they present to the emergency department. And it's, it is debilitating illness. Mm -hmm. And I was struck by that conversation that you had in the beginning of your documentary when you're talking to your doctor and he asked you a question of like, well, it's bad, but it's not like that bad, right? But then you walk us through like your daily life and it impacts every single part of your life. And often I think I have blinders like this when I'm on as a, as a physician and I see this in my colleagues and just trying to understand how disease, especially chronic disease impacts 
a patient's like every second of it. And, and yeah, I was kind of curious to know about sharing your journey on film. Was that something scary for you to do? It was, but I think at the time I was feeling so desperate at that point that I had less embarrassment. I think when I was first diagnosed, I was like, wow, this is an embarrassing disease. And as time went on and it just affected every aspect of my life, I was less embarrassed. I was more kind of angry. I felt Mm -hmm. a lot of angst. Mm -hmm. And I think that's shown in the first scene with my doctor, you know, in the room with my doctor, we have this conversation where he says, asks general questions like, your life's not that severely impaired, right? And in the room, I say, no, not that severely impaired. But then you hear my inner monologue, which is I'm going through my day-to-day life and how it affects me. And it was only through editing the film and watching myself in that scene where I'm like, wow, I really didn't tell him how I was really feeling. That's kind of on me. I really do kind of keep a lot in when the truth of the matter is, you know, there are these real symptoms that are painful that I'm dealing with every day, but it also affects my mental health. It affects my relationships. You know, I was at a point where I was having anxiety every single day Mm. in normal situations, you know, driving in my car. If I got stuck in traffic, I would panic because I can't get to the bathroom grocery store. If I was in the lineup and, you know, I had my items on the conveyor belt. And then if I had to run to the bathroom, I was like, okay, I'm just going to ditch all my food and just run to the bathroom. (laughs) I always, every single situation I was in, I just had this, you know, worst case scenario play out in my head. I always had to have an exit strategy. It was, you know, taking up my mental energy. And how did you first discover that there was a treatment that may help? Because right now the FDA hasn't approved fecal transplant for ulcerative colitis, but there's a lot of research going on right now with some promising results. Mm -hmm. So I first heard about fecal transplant for colitis about 10 years ago, 10 years before I did it myself, I had heard about it. I read an article in uh, Toronto Star, which is I'm in Toronto, so our Mm -hmm. local newspaper about this Crohn's patient, severely ill with Crohn's disease. His mother was his donor and they did DIY fecal transplant at home and it completely cured his Crohn's. I say cured because, you know, we never use the word cured with these chronic illnesses. It could just be a really long remission, but, you know, for him, Mm -hmm. it had been five years of no symptoms, no medication which was miraculous. I had never heard of anything like that happening. But I also thought it sounded disgusting and weird. And at that time, there wasn't a ton of research on it. So I read about it and kind of went, you know what, I'm going to put that in my back pocket. I'll probably never do it, but I want to keep my eye on this research. And it wasn't until 10 years later when I was starting to feel really desperate that I circled back to that research. And at that Mm -hmm. point, the research had come a long way. It still is not FDA approved. It's still not really legal for a doctor to help you do this. But we are seeing in clinical research trials for colitis, we're seeing about 30% remission rates with fecal transplant, which is actually quite good. I mean, that's on par with a lot of biologic treatments, which is the main form of treatment for my condition. So So right now it's illegal for a doctor to help a patient do this treatment for ulcerative colitis. Is that correct? That is correct. That's crazy. I know. It's an issue I'm facing with coming out with this film, that Mm -hmm. we are having conversations with doctors and patient advocacy groups who aren't necessarily in favor of supporting this film because it features someone, myself, doing this procedure DIY, which is not something the medical community is really promoting at this point. Yeah, They want more research. They want FDA approval. So 
I have heard of naturopathic doctors in certain states being able to help people with fecal transplants by coaching them. So Mm. they'll say, if you find your own donor, I will run tests on that donor to make sure that they're a safe donor for you. I will coach you on how to do fecal transplant. I will not touch the stool. I will not touch the blender. I will not touch you. And legally, I think I'm safe in doing that. But a lot of doctors, you know, won't even go that far. They won't help you test a donor because they don't want to be seen as encouraging this. Yeah. And I'm all in favor of regulation in terms of medications and treatments. And, you know, that's not something that's taken lightly, but it's not like you just decided overnight, just go, Hey, I'm just going to try this and I'm going to DIY my health. You've had a long journey struggling with disease and found the conventional treatments out there just didn't work. Mm-hmm. It's not like you rejected modern medicine or like the current therapy for ulcerative colitis, right? Yeah. I mean, I stand by my decision because I do feel that based on the current regulatory system, I understood that my doctor couldn't help me. He also didn't have a lot of knowledge about this treatment. It just wasn't really on his radar. So he would say things like, we don't have a lot of research for that. Whereas I was reading research kind of going, actually, there is some research that's promising. It's still not FDA approved, but the research actually is promising. Yeah. Through the film, obviously, I met a lot of the top researchers and I learned what I could from them. And based on that, I made a decision, which did include some degree of risk, but that was something I was willing to take on because I felt that I needed to do something different than what was being prescribed to me. Yeah. We had a guest on who is a friend of mine, Dr. David Fagenbaum, and he has a life-threatening disease called Kassman's disease. And he almost died from it several times. He was literally read his last rites by a priest in the hospital when he he was sick with this disease back in 2010. And what he did himself was a DIY health where he took a drug that was not for Kassman's disease and it's an off-label use. And he was just doing research and found that, hey, this this may help. And he administered, got permission to use this drug on on his own disease. And And I see that in the rare disease community because the options are limited and there is unlikely to have the funding to dig into newer treatments. And so what David does, he has an organization that is looking at off-label uses for drugs that are FDA approved in treatments of other other conditions because no no better options are open and and patients can't wait because they're suffering for regulation to keep up. Yeah, absolutely. I listened to that podcast interview and I loved it. I think that what he has going for him though, is that he does have a medical background. I think a lot of the patients you're describing who have these undiagnosed, confusing medical conditions can be looked at as quacks for some of the treatments that they try. And I think it's really harmful to label these people as crazy for trying different things because you know, it, it actually shows that they just haven't given up on themselves yet. Yeah. And the worst thing they could do is give up on themselves because they haven't found the answer yet. It doesn't mean that the answer doesn't exist. Yeah. And many of these patients are are brave to be able to do that because of I can imagine a lot of the pushback that the medical community that we, <laughs> speaking, quote unquote, the medical community give to patients when they are trying alternative therapies. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I have to say that when I made the decision to do fecal transplant, when I made the decision to do a film about it, the scariest thing, you know, I wasn't that scared of the risks because I did feel that I did some due diligence to eliminate my risk. My biggest fear was it was scary to put myself out there of trying something new. I had this fear of failure Mm. that if I step out and try something new and it doesn't work, people just think I'm an idiot. Yeah. And that was the scariest thing, the mm. believing in myself that this might work. Well, I feel like an idiot for even believing something will work because I've been told over and over and over again that I will never find something that works. Mm. That gets into your head at a certain point. You yeah. do lose faith in yourself and your ability to heal. It's so hard to break conventions in medicine. We're, we're very slow. I, I think of someone who won the Nobel Prize, Barry Marshall, who won the Nobel Prize in 1982 because he found the link between H. pylori and peptic ulcer disease. But back then, the scientific community would not believe that a bacteria can actually cause peptic ulcer disease. And even though the research was there, there was growing research, and he actually, I don't, I don't know if you heard this story, but he actually like infected himself with H. pylori. It got oh. so sick that he ended up like in an intensive care. He had to get hospitalized in order to prove to his colleagues who thought he was a quack that a bacteria could cause peptic ulcer disease. So even when you're like a scientist researcher and you're trying to challenge conventional medical norms, the pushback that you get. Yeah. Wow. I think you do see that there's a spectrum of doctors, some of who are unfortunately not very curious and some of who, you know, like to push the envelope. And I actually think in our film, we had a range of experts who exist along those spectrums. Some you know, we're more cautious, but we have one expert, Dr. Barodi, who's from Australia, who's one of the leading researchers in fecal transplant. He kind of, let me think of the right way to describe <laughs> I think of him as very much a patient advocate, but he does kind of have this attitude of, I don't care what's approved and what's not. I'm going to try new things. Yeah. And if I see that it's working, even anecdotally, I don't think I should have to hide that from patients. I do think patients should be encouraged to do their own research and try something, even if it's not approved. Mm. And I think he gets flack for that, where other doctors would say, you know, you really shouldn't be encouraging your patients to do this, Dr. Barodi. And he really kind of thinks, I'm here to help them. It's not our job to prevent them from getting better. We were talking before we started recording of, like, I wish a documentary like yours could be done with every single type of disease because it just shows so much there, like the humanity that gives me empathy for patients who have ulcerative colitis and kind of like seeing where science fails or science can't meet the needs and seeing what options there are for patients. Sometimes there's, there's not that many. And I was curious to know what inspired you to make this film? Did you, because it is a huge undertaking and kind of take us through that journey because you are a filmmaker, correct? Correct. Yes. I am a filmmaker. So I'm always looking for a new topic for films. This topic I just became obsessed with in my own personal life. So I was researching fecal transplant nonstop all day, every day. I decided Mm -hmm. that I might want to do it. And I wanted to meet all these researchers that I had been reading about. So... Oh, cool. <laughs> I decided to make a documentary film so I could meet them. Also, you know, this desire, I had this desire to just talk about it. And I thought, you know, other people must want to know about this subject. And if there's a film out and more people hear about this, it'll just kind of 
become more of the zeitgeist. People will be more aware of this treatment. And that's what I want. I don't want there to be this stigma around it. I want us to be able to have a conversation. I want people to be more interested in the research. I want the research to continue. Because mm. I do think fecal transplant is a very promising area of research. And I think we're going to see a lot more of it in the coming years. Yeah. How do you, do you go about pitching it to get a crew together to start filming and editing and storytelling? The crew is very small. We had one camera person who is my good friend, Ben Ainsworth. He's shot all my films with me. So it was wow. just the two of us. And he did all the audio too. So on shoot dates, it was like he was lighting it, recording audio and filming. And I edited the film. So. Unbelievable. <laughs> As a labor of love. It is a labor. I mean, it took five years and not because it was that much work. It took five years because I was going through it myself at the time. There was a lot of space built in for me to kind of sit back and reflect and also monitor my symptoms because I think I went into fecal transplant thinking and hoping that it would be this magic bullet that would cure me after one transplant and it didn't. So you see that in the film that as promising as the research in this is, it's we don't know everything about it yet. It isn't a magic bullet. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it takes a long time to work. Mm. So yeah, it was a long, confusing journey that I feel like I'm finally on the other side of. Yeah. In preparing for our talk, I you know just was researching about the microbiome and just fascinated by this universe that lives within our gut. You know, one stat is like a gram of feces has more microbes than humans on the planet. And I think it's something about brain gut health that we're just starting to learn. And, and again, this is not stuff that I really learned about in medical school back in the day. Like this is all new information, even though I've been practicing clinically for many years and you do just a great job explaining about it in your documentary about the complexity of our gut. Can you take us through that? Sure. Where to begin? (laughs) Yeah, so the microbiome is this collection of bugs and organisms that live in our gut that we're just starting to realize really affect almost every aspect of our health. Obviously, gut conditions and gut illnesses like C. difficile, Crohn's colitis, IBS, but we're discovering ways in which the gut influences the brain. In fact, there are really great studies coming out around autism. These studies began with the intention of seeing if fecal transplant could help improve gut-related symptoms in autistic children. And they did find that fecal transplant can help those gut-related symptoms. But what they found was for the kids who had improvement in their gut-related symptoms, they had behavioral-related symptoms as well. Mm. And what's even more interesting is that the kids who had benefit at the eight-week mark, those benefits continued and were even greater two years later. So we're seeing that by implanting this new microbiome and allowing it to flourish, the benefits continue year after year. And you know, one of the diseases that I see a lot in patients that's so, so just violent is C. difficile infections caused by bacteria, Clostridium difficile, where we cause it by treating patients with powerful antibiotics for other conditions like pneumonia, for example. But then what it does, it just ravishes this internal gut biome and that sometimes we can't even treat the patients because we just destroy that normal protective flora. Is that where a lot of the early research around fecal transplant occurred for Clostridium difficile infections? 
Yes. And fecal transplant is incredibly effective for C. difficile. I think with one transplant, it can be up to 90% success rate. Beyond that, if you have two transplants, it's closer to 98%. And this is for patients who have failed rounds of antibiotics because, you know, you can get C. diff through antibiotics. And then usually the treatment is more antibiotics, which sometimes work, but sometimes it works for a short period of time and it recurs over and over and over again in weeks, weeks and months. Yeah. It's like nothing. And we hospitalize these patients over and over again. It's so crazy. And the way these C. diff patients describe their experience with fecal transplant is like, I was sick for months and months on end. I never thought I was going to get better. One fecal transplant, I woke up the next morning and had a normal bowel movement and it was just over. It's a miracle. It's incredible. So this is where, you know, some of the research started that people really started to notice this is an incredible treatment. We have to make this accessible, but how do we govern shit? Yeah. How do we use shit as medicine? Mm. You know, one of the big debates that the FDA had to decide on is, is stool a drug or a tissue? Yeah. How do we categorize it? And they decided in the United States and Canada as well, that it is a drug because of the definition, something that treats or mitigates an illness, therefore stool is a drug. In this case, it's being used as a drug. So my, my poop is a drug. It is. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> but it's an unapproved drug. <laughs> <laughs> so it is, it's a complicated situation because yeah, your poop is a drug, but your poop hasn't gone through all of the safety standards that the FDA requires. So you can't sell your poop as a drug. <laughs> so how do we turn it into a drug? We are starting to see products come out. Usually there's some sort of manipulation done to the stool. They've tried to isolate spores of bacteria so that it's no longer a full stool. It's aspects of it that are turned into a drug. So as those products become more readily available, we will see more access for C. diff patients, which is great. It's desperately needed. And I am hoping that once we have a product it will be used possibly off-label for other conditions, but certainly it will accelerate the research because now we'll have an easy product to use in a clinical research setting. Yeah. You feature a company called Open Biome in your documentary. Can you talk about what that company does? Sure. Open Biome was at the time of filming in 2018, North America's first stool bank. So they were known for having these elite donors. They were based in just outside of Boston A lot of their donors were Harvard University students, and these were people who passed (laughs) this rigorous health screening, had the most top-of-the-line pristine stool samples, which they would donate for a fee, and Open Biome would turn them into these slurries that could be used to treat C. diff patients. Open Biome then also opened a pharmaceutical wing called Finch. So this was when the FDA was still deciding, is it a drug or a tissue. If if the FDA had said it's a tissue, North America could have gone a different direction. We could be Mm. accessing stool samples through stool banks because they said drug, those stool banks have closed. So Open Bomb has closed. And now the focus is more so on pharmaceutical companies that are coming out with a drug product. Wow. How is it different from like sperm bank donation? Because that's not considered a drug when you go and give your sperm sample so you know people could get pregnant. Yeah. Or blood banks, yeah. kind of similar. 
Yeah, I don't think that there's a clear answer on this. The FDA in the US chose to label it as a drug, but Australia, for example, chose to label it as a biologic. So they are going the stool bank route. So now there are approved stool banks. You can only buy fecal transplant products from those approved stool banks. Mm. Whereas in North America, we're going to go buy an approved drug instead. Mm. I'm not sure which one is right, really. I mean, a lot of researchers I spoke to in the film didn't have a clear answer either. Mm. What I love about your film is that it's so like entertaining and it's so funny, even though this is like a serious matter, you know, that sometimes like can be a little bit gross, but I like, I was like laughing and it was so entertaining. And was that one of your principles at the onset to make it an entertaining film or did it just turn out to be that way? I guess the humor was kind of unavoidable. I mean, when you're doing something so embarrassing and out there you can't help but kind of laugh at yourself and laugh at the situation i think people have different degrees of comfort when it comes to talking about poop and to be honest i am not a person who likes talking about poop i'm not that open with talking about these things oh really i am i love it i love talking about shit it's like a favorite topic of mine well so does my husband and i appreciate people like that because i'm the one suffering with this condition and it's so liberating to me to be with somebody who isn't like so grossed out by it i'm like oh thank god i can like you know be myself so it was great and he's great in the documentary he's so funny (laughs) (laughs) he actually loved being my stool donor i think he, he took the responsibility very seriously and again he wasn't grossed out by it at all he he thought it was a very interesting procedure and he just thought you know if there's any way that this can help you let's do it yeah i know this the film is coming out later this year but i i was curious to know what has been some of the early feedback that you've gotten maybe things that were surprising or how people have been responding to your film so far so the film has not been released yet but already people are finding me patients are finding me i'm getting a lot of emails and DMs from people who are suffering from various conditions, but majority of them are IBD sufferers and parents of autistic children who have heard Mm. about this treatment and have Googled it and found my film and want to know more. So I'm really, I'm finding a lot of desperate people who are really interested in this information and they don't necessarily want to go out and do DIY fecal transplant. They just want to know more about it. They want to know when is there a drug coming out? When will my doctor be able to support this? Because I don't want to have to do it on my own. Yeah. I'm just not finding any options right now. Yeah. And then from the medical community, you know, we have gotten some feedback that people are wary of a film that's coming out that's going to demonstrate DIY fecal transplant and the fact that it's something that a patient could possibly do at home. And maybe we don't support or agree with a patient doing it at home. Mm. And I really hope that, you know, doctors in the medical community in general don't discount it based on that alone. Because, you know, there may be some people who are inspired to do DIY fecal transplant. I don't think that's going to be the majority of people. I think what I hope the impact of this film is, is simply getting people talking about this research. I think it's been very hush-hush, especially with patients, because doctors fear that patients are going to want to do it themselves. So it's this thing of like, shh, don't tell the patients about (laughs) it. They can't know about it because they're going to go do it. Patients aren't smart enough to have this knowledge. It should should be kept within a priesthood of medicine. That's been argued that has been used so many times in the history of medicine. Well, let me give you a funny example. So 
we met with this psychiatrist, Dr. Valerie Taylor. She's at Women's College Hospital here in Toronto. She was doing a study for fecal transplant for depression, bipolar depression. Mm-hmm. And she was recruiting for this clinical study. And she reached out to a bunch of doctors in the area and said, hey, we're putting on this study. Please let your patients know. And if they're interested, direct them toward us. And they heard nothing. Crickets. Mm. No patients reaching out. So she went, well, that's disappointing. But I guess, you know, these patients are thinking, that sounds weird. That sounds gross. I have no interest. But we have to find patients. So they're like, let's try another route. They put an ad on Facebook. They were flooded by patients reaching out to them. People who said, I have heard about this treatment. I've been dying to try it. Please let me into your clinical trial. People from other parts of the world saying, I will fly to Toronto to be a part of your trial. So based on that, she thought, are these doctors not passing this information on to their patients? Perhaps because the doctor themselves thought, I'm not seeing a ton of research, promising research on this. I don't necessarily believe it's going to help my patient. I think it's gross. I don't see why my patient would want to do this. So they're not necessarily passing that information on. Whereas the patients themselves actually are very interested. Yeah. So I want more patients to be aware of this treatment, even if it's just to, you know, be aware that there may be a clinical trial going on in your area for your condition eligible for patients should be aware of that because you'd be surprised how many of them are eager to access this. Yeah. And there are the best type of research going on right now of randomized clinical trials on this. I love that you bring this into the mainstream because I think so many times patients suffer in silence and it's not like dinner conversation. Like you're going to go talk to your friends and family about it. It's like very hush hush. And a lot of times patients are alone suffering with a chronic disease that impacts every aspect of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many questions, more questions I, I have, but I want to like be sensitive to your time and you have a busy schedule. You know, one question that we've been asking guests, if one of our listeners were to come and visit you, where would you take them out to eat? <laughs> well, I love Korean barbecue. Oh, my favorite. Oh, really? Korean, yeah. <laughs> I was living in Los Angeles for a long time and my favorite restaurant was Bud Namu. In Koreatown. When I was suffering from ulcerative colitis too, I was on this diet that was like limited carbs. So I was eating a lot of like animal protein and just fruits and vegetables. And I really found that like Korean barbecue was perfect because I like had my meat and my kimchi and I always felt that it was like really light on my gut. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that kimchi is probably going to restore your flora, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. Well, we'll we'll put the link to the restaurant in the the show notes there. I got to check it out the next time I go to LA. And then we'll uh, we'll put the link to your documentary website, and so when it when it drops, listeners can go and find it. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your journey. Just really honored to have you on. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was fun. You can follow Saffron on Instagram at s a f f r o n c a s s a d a y. And reach out to me on Twitter at B-O-N-K-U on Instagram at D-R-B-O-N-K-U. Design Lab is produced by Rob Pugrisi, editing by Fernando Carreros, Emmanuel Houston, creator of theme music, and Eden Liu did our cover design. See you next week.